Welcome to the Art and Science of Learning podcast, where we explore the best practices, technologies, and research shaping the future of learning in the workplace and beyond. I'm your host, learning specialist, Dr. Kinga Petrovai. In each episode, I speak with industry leaders, academics, practitioners, and learning designers about different aspects of learning and development. These conversations weave together insights from around the world and across industries to inform and inspire innovations in lifelong learning. Design thinking is an important skill that can transform all aspects of your work. However, it is not easy to understand, and there are a lot of nuances in the different steps and how to implement it so that it is truly effective for you and your team. And this is why I really enjoyed reading a new book called Future Proofing by Design, which beautifully outlines the different steps in design thinking, what they mean, the important factors that make it a success, and examples in what it looks like to have that implemented in practice. And so I'm happy to have the author of this book, Nilfer Erdebil, on this episode to discuss her book and to dig deeper into what design thinking is, what are some of the misconceptions that we have, and her tips on how we can implement it to have maximum impact. Nilfer Erdebil is an award-winning design thinking expert, TEDx and TEC speaker, and the author of Future Proofing by Design, Creating Better Services and Teams in the Public Sector. With over 25 years of experience, she has been a driving force for change and strategy in both the public and private sectors. She is the CEO of Spring to Innovation, an innovation and design thinking training company in Ottawa, Canada. Nilifer has been instrumental in mobilizing teams and facilitating transformation in both the public and private sectors. Her extensive background in telecommunications, application development, program management, and IT management has provided her with a profound understanding of the diverse business challenges that organizations face today. Through her expertise in leadership, Nilifer continues to inspire organizations to embrace innovation and create impactful solutions. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hello, Nil, and thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Well, I look forward to talking about your new book, your first book. I really enjoyed reading it and also being at your book launch. I learned so much about the work that you're doing, which is absolutely fascinating. So I look forward to discussing this with you. But can you tell me a little bit about how you came to work on design thinking? I started out on the journey to design thinking inadvertently. I uh, used to do software development and design. And then I moved into IT management and uh, I was working on leading edge technologies and projects. I would implement them and either they would get canceled or uh, people weren't using it or they weren't using it in the way that they that I thought they would have used it. So when I was working on a project uh, that took seven months technology-wise to implement, and then it took two and a half years for people to start using it, I started pulling back and uh, doing a lot more research, learning change management, which uh, was really fantastic as a start for getting to understand how to understand people and shift their behavior. And then from there, I started in the same organization partnering with a company that actually brought in their end customers as we were prototyping and testing solutions. What we heard from the customers was phenomenal. The solution and the features that we thought they would like most, they didn't care about. 
And then what they were willing to pay for the product was a lot different than what we were thinking we would need to charge in order to make it successful. And so uh, that bringing in the client component from the start really resonated with me. And I thought, why aren't more companies doing this? Why aren't more organizations doing this? And and that started me on this trend towards helping organizations with innovation. As I was talking about innovation, people want to know more about what innovation was. And then once they understood that, they want to know how to be more innovative. And I started talking about design thinking and then training on design thinking. So it, it's been a journey. It's always a listening to what our customers want and what resonates with them and the challenges that they're facing and then helping solve them. You're an engineer. So a lot of what you already studied and what you were doing as an engineer resonates in what design thinking really is. So the background does really work really well because in engineering, we're taught to first identify what the problem is and then break it down into smaller pieces. Uh, Design thinking is a lot about pulling back, not jumping into solution mode, but pulling back and thinking about what the problem is. And then design thinking is a little bit Ahead of that, even more is understanding who are the people that are involved in the challenge Mm -hmm. before identifying what the problem is. And so engineering was great for helping me understand how to succinctly define what the problem is so that you can solve for it a lot easier. And it also helped me too, because it's very process and method and tool oriented. What I try to do with the the consulting as well as the training that we do is is provide those tools and the methodology for people taking our training and that we're working with, help them learn how to use it so that they can actually get results. And so that engineering background comes in uh, in two ways, defining the problem and then also helping create the tools that people can use to come up with results themselves without us there. That must be very powerful to your customers. And you must have so many good stories about how your design thinking approach and the way that you work with companies, the impact that it's had. Can you draw me a little bit of a picture of some of the examples of where you saw this working really well? I find, especially when we do training in groups of people uh, from the same project, it helps people get out of this state of ambiguity. They are tasked to do something, but they don't know how to do it or they don't know where to start. So pulling back and looking at it from the end client's perspective not only helps the team align, but it also helps them stay focused as they as the project moves through. So for example, one of our clients that we did training with uh, last March, they brought in the IT folks and the business folks and looked at what they were trying to do as well as who are the people that are going to be using their solution. And because they understood that all together, they were starting to speak the same language and understood the problem the same way. So that months later, their senior leadership came back and said, it's amazing because we can still see the team thinking about the end customer and looking to deliver solutions that would work for the end customer. And they're a lot happier because they know what to focus in on. They're working really well together. That's music to our ears. That's kind of what we want to make sure that teams are able to do is do their work. Because at the end of the day, people want to do the best work possible. And in an environment where everybody's working towards the same goal, so Mm -hmm. that uh, there's less uh, churning in terms of people not knowing what to do or confusion on what might be a priority if the whole team is aligned right from the start and focusing on that end user perspective then it's a lot easier for the team to understand the impact that they're trying to have and what decisions they have to make along the way to make sure that they're having that impact 
That's wonderful. And it really brings the team together. And defining that problem is often such a difficult task, isn't it? Often you think we need to get better in this, we need to develop something. But once you start digging, people quickly realize they don't really know what that means, even if you thought you knew what it meant from the very beginning. So your process really helps to clarify and, uh, and also pull people together in a lot of different ways to be able to have a much better outcome. Can I uh, add a little bit to what you just said too, is oftentimes in organizations that the team or the project's not in isolation, there's so many things going on within the organization and uh, teams that they're interacting with, especially if organizations have been around a while. And, And I love working with enterprises that have been around for a while. It's not just one problem happening. It's, it's a number of problems happening. And so it's working through that to figure out what's the really true problem that needs to be solved. Sometimes there's uh, people, process, and technology problems happening all at the same time, Mm -hmm. and the team can't solve for everything. And so honing in on what they have control over and also uh, what needs to be assigned to another team in order to make sure that the whole project is a success. Because it's uh, in larger organizations, uh, one team doesn't handle everything usually. And so just breaking it out into manageable pieces for that team and then ensuring the other parts are being done so that at the end of the day, the technology, the people and the processes are all there for project success. I think there's obviously a lot of different steps and components to that as you as as you write about in your book. At that beginning phase, you said to help them get going and to help them break down that prop, the problem at the very start. What do you think is holding people back? What do you think, you said that you work with established organizations, what do you think is holding them back that you're able to break through to be able to look at that problem in smaller pieces? The fact that there is so many things going on all at the same time, it creates a lot of information and it's hard to figure out which one you need to solve with our methodology going in and focusing in on the customer's and the impact that the team's trying to make on customers and seeing the world through the customers or the end users perspective helps the team really understand, oh, this is what's really important to our customers. So this is the area that we should consider focusing in on. At the end of the day, it's up to the team to decide what they want to focus in on, but moving their perspective and understanding the world through the end users really helps them hone in on what they really need to be doing as a priority. Sometimes the other stuff isn't in their wheelhouse to be able to solve. And so being able to identify what is a root cause problem, what are secondary tertiary problems, and then what are some problems that need to be handed off to other teams. It's so important to go through that thinking and often people skip through it thinking, okay, let's get to solving the problem. And uh, it's such an important piece that you just described in developing. Before we get to key steps and the big idea of how how this process works, What is the key idea that you would like the reader to walk away with after reading your book? Yeah, I want people to walk away understanding the end-to-end methodology of design thinking and uh, understand that that there's a mindset perspective to it. The readers might already be doing aspects of design thinking, but it's what can the impact be and what are the different steps beyond what you might already be doing that allow you to get to results at the end of the day. And the book is written in a way where we make sure that we're covering off an example end-to-end so that people can see how all the different tools fit together. At the end of the day, I want people to feel like this is something very achievable and attainable and that they can do themselves if 
they read about it or take some training around it and pull back as a team and think through the end user and the problem that they're looking to solve and being open to reframing what that problem is that they need to solve so that they're creating an impact for clients. And as they're creating that impact for clients and and looking at things from an end user perspective, having everybody aligned makes it a lot easier to make sure that people are speaking the same language and working towards the same goal in a similar way. And it increases collaboration within the team inherently, which makes it a lot funner and environment and it increases engagement within teams. And so it's almost like a double benefit. Not only are teams creating better products and services or processes, and they're also getting along better because they have a focus and they all know what success, uh, what the impact is that they want to have. Having that clarity from the very beginning is just so critical and being able to zoom out and zoom into the problem continuously, as you said, to step back. And of course, it's an ongoing process. It's not something that you learn and you do once. I like the fact that you said that it is achievable, although you have to understand the details of it to not do it superficially and not to use the buzzword of design thinking when really you're not going through the entire process is very important. You mentioned a few times mindset. Because I think when people think about design thinking, they think about it's a process. Sometimes they do it very superficially, so they need to learn all the different aspects of it, but they think of it as a process. So can you talk a little bit about mindset? Yeah, with uh, design thinking, it's about looking at the world from that end user's perspective. In order to be able to do that, people have to have a growth mindset going into a design thinking project. And that means uh, being open to learning from other people within their realm. And so, especially from their clients, rather than assuming it's talking with end clients and understanding the world from their perspectives so that they can make sure that they're actually solving the right problem. Growth mindset's a a part of it. We talk a lot about uh, having a dynamic mindset. And so growth mindset's part of it. Open mindset, the end user perspective mindset, being willing to work in ambiguous environments. Sometimes we don't know the type of results that we're going to be getting. A systems mindset too, understanding that we're not in isolation, especially in large organizations. There's a whole bunch of other stuff going on around us that are necessary in order for our projects to be successful or their existing systems that we need to be able to work within. There's a whole bunch of things to consider from a mindset perspective. And uh, a key one too is we're solving for multiple solutions and not just one. And I think that also is a different type of a mindset, realizing that just because we've come up with one solution, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the one that we're going to go with. And so being open to multiple different solutions for the same problem. Oftentimes in organizations, when we go in, it takes a lot to think about what is the problem we're trying to solve because people just jump into that solution mode and we're looking for one solution. Design thinking is about having that uh, slightly different mindset where we're open to multiple different solutions and also open to reframing what it is that we're looking to solve. As you're describing all of that, it is certainly not something that someone can put on their checklist and just say, okay, yes, I'm going to be all of those things. It is definitely something that you need training and help with and continuous realignment and someone to to be able to guide you. It's not easy to reframe yourself to think in that way and to have those types of mindsets. As people might be thinking, my goodness, that's a lot to really take in. It's certainly not something that I think you can put on a checklist and say, I will go through it. Yeah, definitely. The The support is really helpful. You also said a really key important of it is realignment. 
And so we might have the best of plans. It could all start aligned, but new information comes in. As new information comes in, being willing to realign and also bring in that new information to sometimes change the plan. It's easy to get caught up going forward with a plan, especially in larger organizations. And project management is a huge part of planning and maintaining projects, rightfully so. But having somebody else there to make sure that they're considering some of the new information as they're working through it. And and the methodology is easy to follow, but there's different ways that the tools can be used. I always learn from different practitioners on new tools that they're using or different ways that they're using the tool. And the, the tools are only a part of it. It's that ability to pull back as someone that's observing what's going on and then making decisions based on that. And as an outsider that's not as engaged, sometimes it's easier to see some of those connections or lack of connections in there too. I'm a big proponent of uh, coaching. I I have a number of different coaches in my life. Uh, They help me see things that I can't see. You say in your book, before you even start, you really need to identify the problems and measure of success. And I really liked this course, Identifying the Problem. But measuring success also and what the measures of success are, because so often it's also in learning design, people think about evaluation and measures of success as an after something is designed. But if you start it from the very beginning before you even design the learning experience or what you are designing, that's such a critical step. So I love the fact that you wrote that in. So can you tell me a little bit about that, starting off with the process by identifying the problem and measures of success? Yeah. And you did a great job uh, with explaining the measures of success. We identify the problem initially because especially in large organizations, a reason why we've been brought together, there's a reason why funding has been put in place. Someone along the way has identified that there's an issue. Is it the real issue? We don't know yet. But if this were the real issue, what would success look like? Mm-hmm. And aligning as a team on what that success looks like is, is super important. We've been in groups where there's three people. We asked for their top three measures of success. And, and amongst three people, they came up with eight measures of success. And even though the team had been together for a while and they'd been talking about this project for a long time, we bring our own different lenses in depending on our, our backgrounds and, and how we see things. And that alignment on measures of success initially makes sure that we're all on the same page at the onset so that we can work towards the same goals. In teams, it's fascinating to see even a definition, how we define what a particular word means can be quite different. And so getting as clear on that as a team and agreeing on it is super important to make sure that we're all starting from the same point and and working towards the same thing. Absolutely. Different people definitely have different perspectives and that needs to be aligned. But do you also find that individuals themselves may not be clear? It helps that process also helps individuals clarify for themselves what they want success to be, because so often we think, oh, well, we want people to be able to do this or I know this. And then when you start digging about, but why and what are they going to do with it? That helps your thinking process to realize what exactly do you want this to be achieving in the end? It helps to clarify your own thoughts. Do you find that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Really well said. It makes people think because there's words that we use automatically. They're being used in our everyday lexicons and uh, we don't necessarily think, what does that really mean? And so, yeah, getting an opportunity to think about what it means for yourself and what success means as well 
really helps make sure that you understand where you're going towards as well too. Tell me about the process. There's five steps. Of course, there's far more in there than we can cover. But can you give me the highlights of what that process looks like? So with uh, design thinking, there's five different phases that we've highlighted in the book. Uh, the first phase is the empathize phase. And so looking at and understanding who our end users are. And uh, I think this is the phase that's a little bit newer to organizations. And there's many different tools that we can use. Um, the second phase is defining what the problem is based on what we've heard from our end clients and, and also based on data and information that we already have and being open to reframing what that problem is. And then we go into the ideation phase. So the fun part, coming up with ideas on how to solve the, the, uh, the challenge that we have, and then going into prototyping and testing to see if the solution that uh, we have to the problem is actually going to solve the problem from an end user perspective before we go into implementation. And traditionally, in larger organizations, end up starting with an initial problem and coming up with a solution fairly quickly in order to be able to implement. Design thinking is before then. And so you have that initial problem before you start building anything or before coming up with solutions is understanding their, your end users through the empathize phase, truly defining the problem, coming up with ideas, prototyping, testing before selecting one idea to pursue. Sometimes people think that it adds time to it. It actually reduces your time because you're working on the right problem and coming up with a solution for the right problem. Absolutely. It's invaluable to be able to put in that time at the very beginning. Makes everything speed up so much faster and to get to the right outcome because you don't want to get to the implementation phase and then realize you have to start over again. If you had done this properly at the beginning and think some of these big questions through, then you wouldn't you don't necessarily have to go back. So that's really important. But what is it that you think people are not really understanding about this process that they should really understand before embarking on it? I think uh, there's so many benefits of starting in on this process that people aren't aware of. One of the key things is that it increases your likelihood of project success. There's a lot of stats around there in terms of, especially IT projects. I think between 70 and 90% of IT projects fail. A lot of the reasoning behind that is that they don't look at it from an end user perspective and uh, they don't uh, necessarily understand what problem it is that they are looking to solve initially. And so having this design thinking component of it upfront at the start actually increases your likelihood of project success. It also saves you time later. The better defined the problem is, the easier it is to make decisions and take action on those decisions. And personally, I've been in projects where there's a project plan in place. Uh, we're working on implementing the project and it keeps coming up. Well, who are we actually building for? What do they really want? And it keeps coming up and coming up because it hasn't been resolved up front. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of time is spent rethinking and looking at whether or not what we're doing is right. And then when that hasn't been done at the end, even though a project is on time and on budget, it might still be a failure because it's not meeting the end user's needs. And that's what we're there for at the end of the day is making sure that we're we're solving problems for our customers or our end users. It is rare that projects are on budget and on time. And if you're able to test it out with customers beforehand, uh, doing some of that prototyping and testing, 
then the likelihood of success is so much higher when you're actually going to implement. Absolutely. And in terms of defining your end user, when I've seen some organizations try to do that, they create these personas. There's a fantastic meme about King Charles and Ozzy Osbourne. And the characteristics that would be written out in a persona are exactly the same. Obviously, they're extraordinarily different types of people. But So can you give some tips on what people should really do in trying to identify their end user? Yeah, I try to do uh, personas based on behaviors. Uh, some organizations uh, end, uh, end up doing it like based on roles, especially if it's uh, internal solutions. Uh, solutions internal to an organization. I love it based on their behavior. And the other aspect of it is I do personas that are specific to a particular challenge because the information that you're gathering about that end user, some of it, it's nice to have some background information and uh, understanding of it. But at the end of the day, the challenges that they're going to have, their expectations and their measures of success are going to be for a particular challenge. A lot of the time I see organizations that have uh, created personas that are very generic. It's lovely. I like, And I'm glad that they're looking at things from an end user perspective. People are working on a particular challenge. That persona can be brought in to help kickstart persona development, but a lot more sessions have to be done with end clients to understand them at a deeper level for the challenge that they're looking to solve at the end of the day. So in organizations, if they already have personas, we'll bring them in and uh, we'll use them, but we'll definitely enhance them or modify them and really focus in on the end user's uh, behavior. Oftentimes in organizations, we also notice that they have personas and, and some organizations will have journey mapping and uh, then they'll say, well, we do design thinking. And I think that's a great start to design thinking, especially the empathize phase, but it's one component of design thinking and understanding that methodology and how the different phases fit together will help organizations create greater impact, knowing what to do with those personas, knowing what to do with those journey maps in order to be able to help define their problem better. And also in order to be able to come up with different ideas and uh, figure out what it is that they should be prototyping and testing because they've been able to take all that information gathered from the personas and journey maps and go through the full phase of design thinking. And so for organizations that do personas and journey maps, I think that's amazing. It's how do teams within the organization use that information and enhance it so that they're creating even more value from it. Right. To go deeper focus on behaviors and challenges in the personas, and then also to go deeper in the process of design thinking. And what do you think people find? I mean, of course, there's a lot of things that are challenging about this. This is not necessarily an easy process. It's a very much worthwhile process. But what do you think are some of the top aspects that people find challenging when you're trying to help them implement? Yeah, I think uh, the first thing that popped out when you said that, especially with some of the organizations uh, that we've been working with, is the ability to talk to and bring in the end customers. And, and I know that sounds funny. Uh, sometimes people are so removed from that end customer. And if it's a large organization, they have to uh, talk to other groups in order to be able to talk to their end customers. Uh, that's one of the challenges that we hear. And another challenge is getting senior leadership to buy in, uh, make space in order to be able to do design thinking at the start of a project. Organizations talk a lot about innovation and being people first and, and user centric. 
the processes that are being followed internally in organizations still have to shift in order to be able to account for that time. And so sometimes people also think that doing design thinking is going to take a lot of time. It does take a lot of time, but if it's structured properly, it doesn't actually have to take that much time. And so from identifying who those end user groups are based on their behavior to bringing them in and having sessions with them. I've had teams, well, we've done personas and it depends on how meaty and complex the challenges, but we've done personas in an hour to 90 minutes for each persona. And we've also had organizations that have taken up to nine months for six personas. And uh, there's no right or wrong answer, but it doesn't have to take as long as you think it's going to take. That information helps out, but also the having the team listen to the customers really helps solidify what's really important and helps teams prioritize what they really need to work on. And that's super important in a day and age where we're being asked to do more with less. And so if we're able to understand what's really important to our end customers and, and be more specific about the problem we're trying to solve, we're going to end up cutting up, cutting out a lot more time later on and increasing our likelihood of success. And so it's being able to explain that to senior leaders to allow for that space for design thinking to happen upfront. So it's the amount of time that it takes in a project that is the roadblock for the executives. Is that it? That's what I'm understanding is that they feel like, let's just get to the solution. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some organizations uh, feel like uh, you should already know what the end customer is thinking. And sometimes you do, but there's so much that changes in our world, especially over the last five years that changes and user behavior as well to whether it's the increasing of uh, digital adoption to the economy to world events so much change happens and uh, and it's something that uh, needs to happen continuously is better understanding the end users as they shift in the world that we're in and and that's also one of the great things about design thinking is it is iterative and as you find out more information that realignment component of it because sometimes uh, projects take two years to implement. The shift that happens within a two-year period could be extreme. And, and if you're not paying attention to what's happening around you, and especially the end users, what you created might have met their needs when you spoke to them, but is it going to continue to meet their needs? And this issue of time and how long it takes to be able to implement this, I, I would imagine that if you take the time to implement it and build it into the system of the organization, because it is a continuous process that should be built into the way that you work. Yes, of course, it's slower the first time you do it, because that's just the nature of doing anything for the first time. But it speeds up and it becomes a part of your workflow. Is that something that executives see? I think organizations, the, the leaders want to have their organizations being more end user focused or believe that their organizations are end user focused. It's that commitment of time that is really difficult for them. And it's, it's really fascinating. I think it's because uh, they have an understanding of what the problem is. And as it gets passed on, people have their own different perceptions of what that problem is. The end user also has a different perception of what that end user is. And so for senior leaders, uh, Again, the mindset component of it comes in is, is that open mindset, that growth mindset of being able to create the space to listen and learn other perspectives to make sure that it is actually the right problem 
that needs to be solved. And that's part of uh, leadership training as well, too, is empathy is phenomenal for as a leadership skill, not only for working with teams and within organizations, but also for understanding what's really important to do. And so it's ingraining that understanding with senior leaders. And it'll happen actually over time. But for people that have been in their leadership roles for a little while, sometimes they need a little extra training or or being able to see smaller projects use design thinking and become more successful because they've used design thinking helps a lot. I mean, there's a lot to think about and to understand and to, you know, the different aspects that you write about in your book. But if someone were to say, okay, we're going to try to get better at this, where should they start? What would be the first step? I think uh, understanding uh, the methodology and the mindset is definitely number one. I'm hoping the book has enough information on how people can do it themselves. And then the other aspect of it is looking at other organizations or parts of their organization that have used design thinking end-to-end to create change. I think that's really helpful too for organizations. Uh, In our training, uh, we talk a lot about other organizations and how they've used the methodology and the impact that they've had because they've used the methodology. The other thing that I wanted to mention too is the the last chapter of the book is about uh, service design. A lot of the time organizations want to design or redesign their services, but in order to do that, you actually have to do design thinking before then because you need to understand what it is that you're looking to build and prototype and test it with end users before starting out the build for it. And I think there's a little bit of a confusion around, should I be doing design thinking or service design? You should probably be doing both and starting out with design thinking and then moving into service design. And service design has not only what the end customers are doing and, and their their journey map for that, but also the stuff that happens on the back end in order to be able to make that happen. So all the systems and technologies and people that are going to help deliver that service. And, and I think as people are thinking about service design is, is pulling back and thinking about well, what is it that we're actually trying to solve and what's really important for our end customer before even starting up that service design component of it. Lots of very important points and definitely a lot for people to think about and to learn, find a way to really build it into the flow of work, the flow of the organization. So thank you so much, Neil, for sharing your insights and your knowledge on this topic. Your book is very easy to read and very much to the point. It should be very useful, I think, to a lot of people because I certainly enjoyed reading it. I thank you so much for coming on the podcast to share that with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me on and uh, letting me uh, talk so much about a topic that I'm super passionate about. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thanks.